Hello, and welcome to the pilot episode, or the pre-pilot episode, of a new podcast that I am calling the Divisive Albums Podcast. The general subject of this podcast is going to be weird albums by established bands, using pretty liberal definitions of weird and established. The point is to discuss those albums in a band's catalog that, for whatever reason, divide the fan base. It could be a new sound, it could be just trends changed and the band fell out of favor, but... Essentially, why should we have the millionth discussion about Metallica's Master of Puppets when, frankly to me, Saint Anger is a lot more fascinating? However, Saint Anger is not the subject of this first podcast. So a little about myself. My name is Mark, although you probably know me online as EmptyEye, and I'm a 34-year-old straight white guy from the U.S., which I bring up just so you have some idea of where my music wheelhouse is, so to speak. You know how certain bands, they have that obsessive cultish fan that almost turns you off of the band? Uh, Radiohead and Tool, two excellent examples. A third example of this are the band Rush. Well, Rush are my favorite band, and for a lot longer than I really want to admit, I was that Rush fan. Though I like to think I'm better about it now. But Rush are also not the subject of this first podcast. No, we're going to go more mainstream than that to start. We're going to discuss a little band by the name of Def Leppard. You've probably heard of Def Leppard. They're actually still around today, recently celebrating 40 years as a band. But their heyday was the 1980s, where they were one of, if not the biggest band of the decade. How huge were they? The U.S. has something called the Recording Industry Association of America, RIAA. You've probably heard of that, too. And they give out various certifications, gold, platinum, and so on, for albums and singles that pass various sales milestones. Now, the most prestigious of these is the Diamond Certification for albums that sold over 10 million copies. Now, even when people bought albums, this was very difficult to do. If you take out things like Greatest Hits compilations, there are under 100 albums as of 2018 that have earned this certification. Def Leppard have two of them, 1983's Pyromania and their follow-up 1987's Hysteria. In contrast, Every single rock band that has released an album from 2000 to this recording has a combined total of two Diamond albums. Uh, One is Linkin Park's Hybrid Theory, and the second one, I swear I am not making this up, is Nickelback's All the Right Reasons. Yeah. Not only that, but the follow-up to Hysteria, 1992's Adrenalize, debuted at number one on the Billboard 200. Yes, that's right, I said 1992's Adrenalize. Yeah, so you know how Nirvana came around and supposedly killed 80s rock dead forever? Well, ultimately that did happen, but cultural shifts do not happen overnight. And this album came out about six months after Nevermind, and Def Leppard just kind of shrugged off Nirvana, at least for a little while. It wasn't until Def Leppard finished touring in support of Adrenalize and reconvened to start work on their next album that they looked around the radio and MTV and realized, hmm, yeah, not a lot of bands looking and sounding like us out there anymore. The times had changed, and Def Leppard would at least be forced to try and kind of sort of change with them. Now, to hear them tell it now, they weren't just trying to stay cool or with it, although they, like any other band, were influenced by what was going on on radio and MTV at the time. No, for one thing, they realized that no matter what they did, they were, at the time, just not cool anymore, so the press and the critics were going to crush them for it. And for another, after three consecutive albums of the Def Leppard formula, they were legitimately getting a little sick of it. You see, those albums weren't so much recorded as they were assembled in the studio. Guitarist Phil Collin likes to relay how, when Love Bites was released off of Hysteria as a single, the band had not only never played it live, they had never even gone through it as a band, until they were forced to because this single rocketed up the charts. 
Suffice to say, the process of recording a Def Leppard album was not quick or easy in the best of situations, and for none of those three albums that I just mentioned did Def Leppard have the best of situations. Guitarist Pete Willis was fired during the recording of Pyromania, drummer Rick Allen lost his arm during a break from the Hysteria sessions, and finally and most tragically, guitarist Steve Clark was sent home for a six-month leave of absence during the recording of Adrenalize, but passed away from alcohol poisoning before the six months were up. And so it was in this landscape that Def Leppard took the opportunity, if you will, to make the most un-Def Leppard album they could, and the result of those efforts was the subject of this podcast, 1996's Slang. Now, while they were working on this album, Def Leppard jokingly gave it the working title Commercial Suicide because they knew what they were up against. But just how un-Def Leppard is this album? And more importantly, is it really so bad that it should have temporarily tanked their careers? Well, let's find out. So, confession time. I like pretty much everything Def Leppard did in the 1980s, including two albums they had prior to Pyromania. Now, on those two albums, you'll never confuse them for Slayer or Metallica or anything like that, but they are a little bit more on the metal end of the pop metal spectrum. Uh, but as for Slang, I didn't actually listen to it until earlier this year, and from its reputation, I expected it to be them trying to rip off Nirvana, Alice in Chains, or, you know, Soundgarden, maybe. I did not expect this. I did not expect distorted, stabbing westward-esque vocals, though in hindsight maybe I should have. I once heard Stabbing Westward brought up as a candidate for the most 90s band ever, and I love Stabbing Westward, but I can't really argue with that description. Incidentally, if this does turn into a regular series, Stabbing Westward have an album that would make an excellent candidate, but I digress, back to Def Leppard. After Turn to Dust, the second song, we have the title track and lead single from the album, which is one of the closer things to traditional Def Leppard. It's got the multi-layer vocals that is their trademark, but even this is a big departure from their earlier albums. So this is an interesting song. On one hand, the band kind of sound like they're trying to recapture the magic that was pour some sugar on me for a new generation. But on the other hand, the lyrics are kind of a darker take. It sounds like the subject of the song doesn't want to actually put in any of the work to earn his slang, which if you know Def Leppard, you know that is a euphemism for, well. And besides the music, that's one of the other main things about this album. The lyrics are a lot darker, a lot more questioning than previous Def Leppard albums. This was really the first time the band let some of the troubles that were going on in their personal lives into the lyrics. Now, the first few times I listened to this album, I was kind of disappointed, in part because I really liked Truth, the opener. I wish they had leaned a little bit more into that kind of 90s industrial direction. Now, they do show flashes of it on occasion. Here's the start of Gift of Flesh. Well, it's not industrial per se, Pearl of Euphoria, the album's closer, kind of gives off some vibes from When the Levee Breaks by Led Zeppelin. 
Most of the album is pretty normal, at least until you recalibrate normal. Now I mentioned the Def Leppard formula earlier, and that formula has 80s electronic drums, the mega multi-track vocals, just generally things that sound like pop metal anthems. And going by that baseline, then this is a strange, strange album. Now Def Leppard were never averse to letting their influences show. Uh, Joe Elliott has mentioned that Armageddon It off of Hysteria was just them trying to write a T-Rex song which becomes really obvious when you listen to Armageddon It and Get It On Bang A Gong back to back. Uh, but their influences on slang are a little unexpected. So here's them trying to write something along the lines of Life is a Highway by Tom Cochran. And here, Def Leppard decide to try their hand at being a 90s R&B vocal group? Yeah, it's all kind of weird. And yet, in context, it all also makes perfect sense. This is Def Leppard taking lemons and making the best lemonade that they can. Now, guitarist Vivian Campbell later reflected that they probably should have done a little more quality control on some of the ideas that ended up on this album. But this is what Def Leppard sound like when they're freed from the burden and expectation of being Def Leppard. It's like they said, forget it, no one's gonna notice or care anyway, let's just do whatever we want. And in the U.S., nobody did notice or care. The album peaked at number 14 on the Billboard 200, although it did do better overseas. After this, they went back to their established formula for their next album, Euphoria, which was probably assisted by the musical landscape starting to tilt back in their favor in the late 90s. So to answer those two questions I asked earlier, how undeaf Leopard is this album? It's pretty undeaf Leopard. And is it so bad that it should have tanked their careers? Well, no, in fact, I think it's actually pretty good. However, I think it also would have tanked their careers, even if they weren't already being looked upon pretty unfavorably in the mid-90s. It's just too different from their previous stuff and too indecisive on what it wants to be to be a commercial success. If the snippets you've heard intrigue you, you can find the album on your favorite streaming service, or if you're a little more old-fashioned like me, you can get the digital deluxe edition for like 10 bucks on Amazon. And the digital deluxe edition has all sorts of rough mixes and early versions of some of the songs, which, that kind of thing, I'm a complete sucker for. It also has a few completely different songs that didn't make it on the album, which you should probably stay away from. In particular, there's one called Burnout, which is probably the low point of Def Leppard's career. Basically, if I were to describe this album to you, and you hadn't heard any of it, this is probably what you would think of. It's them doing a blatant ripoff of Even Flow by Pearl Jam, and it's just not good.
Thanks for listening to this pre-pilot of the Divisive Albums podcast. If you'd like to find me on social media, I am on Discord, where my name is MDI. The number is 7326. I'm also on Twitter at MDI.com, M-D-I-D-O-T-C-O-M. And I also have a website, which is, you guessed it, MDI.com.